Oh, oh, I don't know if you heard in Eternals, there is uh, the first on-screen sex scene in the Marvel. Oh, yes. I remember reading about that. They made such (laughs) a big stink out of it. It is the tamest. I mean, of course it is. Right. It is the most ridiculous bullshit. Like, it's not even a sex scene. It's it it's some, sho- it's some sure. shoulder down vertical kissing. Not quite the Red Shoe Diaries. No. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, San Diego, California. Cassidy Robinson, you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Yes, and I wanted to announce at the top of the show this week that we are premiering our crypto coin. So if people want to get in on this action, we got the MacGuffin Bucks. Uh, That's not even a good name. Starting up here pretty soon. No, McGuff coin. McGuff McGuff jingle. Jingle McGuff. Dogefin. (laughs) I actually have zero idea how crypto works or what it really even is. I know it's annoying. I know I hate hearing about it. It sucks. Uh, NFTs are the most egregious to me. Because it's it's not even the same as regular crypto. It's trying to pose as something else. It's like trying to pose as like an art market, but it's it's not. So well, I was like, watching I was watching uh, the Hot Ones interview with Mila Kunis, uh-huh. and she's doing a voice for some animated project that Ashton Kutcher is the producer of and i guess they're funding the entire thing with nfts i don't even know how that's possible god but i mean this has gone so far beyond like i remember we had some techie friends or whatever back in like 2012 or whatever Mm -hmm. who were starting on the crypto game and at that time i was like that shit doesn't sound like a thing and then it went away it went away and then it came back strong with every online grifter yes the the dumb thing about NFTs are it doesn't make the art exclusive because any any asshole can right click and save the JPEG. Right. And that's why there's no like that's part of the reason why NFTs always look like fucking dickholes is because <laughs> nobody puts any actual effort into them because it's not about the art, it's about the grift, it's about the random string of numbers that's associated to it right so you're not which i assume i, I assume anything. that aspect of it the the idea that it's an image or whatever they'll eventually do away with that because i don't think the people who really get into this stuff really care about it no they, they just want it's a it's a get rich quick thing i don't know i'm i'm already tired of this i'm They're sorry also, i made the joke i i also think yeah they are going to eventually get rid of it because it, they fucking suck. Like, have you seen NFTs? They suck. They're, I've they're never seen one like I've a smoking monkey or or like a pixelated like Reddit avatar. Like they suck. Right. It, it's the same as it's it's like meme coins and that kind of stuff. I'm yeah. sorry I brought it up. 
this episode, we are going to be talking about um, a potpourri of uh, movies here. Have virtually nothing to do with each other, but that's okay. Sometimes it happens like that. You're going to be doing a solo review of the movie Eternals, the new Marvel film. I did not see it. You did. Mm-hmm. Together, we will review Titan. Uh, that was the Palm Door winner um, that came out uh, towards the end of the summer. It's been pretty limited release up until recently. Now it's pretty available to watch on VOD. And uh, at the end of the program, we will be reviewing the 1955 movie, The Man with the Golden Arm. Sounds like a Bond film. It is not a Bond film uh, starring Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah. So we got a we got a we got a slate. Yeah. Um, And before we get into that, let's go ahead and cover a little bit of movie news. We got a few stories here. First one I'd like to bring up. Brendan Fraser will play Firefly in the upcoming Batgirl project. Hell yes. Uh, we we are in the Brindanaissance, mm-hmm. uh, and I am here for it. Uh, he's been great in Doom Patrol. He was really good in that um, one movie we watched earlier this summer. Didn't it? Right, the, the Steven Soderbergh thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no sudden move. Yeah. No sudden move. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be, excuse me, he's going to be in... Uh, some new Scorsese movie, mm-hmm. and now he's he's getting into the the superhero game. I love he's making it. moves. He's making yeah. moves. Uh, so I I was trying to see if this project was a series or a movie. I believe um, it's a movie. Yeah, I believe it is. Uh, but I maybe was getting it confused with the Batwoman stuff that was happening before. Yeah, um, this uh, is an entirely different thing. I think they're also making a Batgirl series. I don't know, man. It's very hard to keep up with the the DC, the, yeah, the stuff. DC extended universe because yeah. they have a tendency to uh, jump ship on projects if one of their projects fails to perform. Right. Uh, so they'll like green light a whole bunch of shit and then you know, start and then kind of whittle it down to whatever um, sticks. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and they have like multiple universe that are competing with each other between like the, you know, the remnants of the Snyder verse, then you know, like the new Batman, which has nothing to do with that. And then this Batgirl, which I don't think has to do with either. Yeah. And then there's the TV stuff, like, you know, the WB stuff versus or CW rather. And it gets even more complicated because there's the remnants of their streaming app. Yeah, which already failed stuff, which got absorbed by HBO Max. Uh Uh, And and I think all that survived was Titans and Doom Patrol. But it it is like a mess. It is. I it's impossible to map out every DC project that's going on. Yeah. Or where it falls in whatever continuity. Whereas with Marvel, everything's kind of contained within the the Kevin Feige Disney Marvel Universe, with the exception of the stuff that's going on over at Sony with like Venom and the Sinister Six. I mean, it gets a little morbid, but because Marvel has their own studio, it's a lot easier to keep most stuff kind of in-house. Right, um, right. There was like the Netflix stuff, which was a little separate, but that's all done now anyway. Um, Talk to me a little bit about Firefly. Who's Firefly? Why are we excited? I remember an episode of the animated series with Firefly, and he was a guy 
who dressed like a firefly and had like a flamethrower. Yeah, I mean that's basically that's, it. That's his deal. Yeah, he's like a, a pyromaniac. There, there have been a few fireflies in the comic continuity because I think yeah. they keep exploding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, here's here's the thing. I Firefly is not an A list villain. No, uh, it seems like the type of character that'll be like you know, sort of like the opening. Either if it's like an origin story, like the sort of showing her figuring out her as Batgirl kind of stuff or mm. whatever. I, I don't oh, so you it, don't even think he's necessarily going to be the big bad of the story. No, I think it'll be more like kind of how, you know, at best, maybe how Scarecrow kind of played through Nolan's trilogy. Sure. Okay. Um, I mean, or they could go a totally different direction. You yeah. know, they could make it they could. Uh, but I just I don't see he's not I don't think he's interesting enough of a villain to do that with. But maybe that would. Yeah, be cool. you never know what direction they decide to go with it. And also, like, weren't they trying to go with the tone with this Batgirl stuff closer to the reboot comic, which was kind of a little bit more lighthearted? Uh, I, I, I mean, that's one of the rumors. Again, there's we don't so really much- know. Yeah, conversation about these that happened, you know, outside of the writer's room and stuff where people speculate. And Mm -hmm. so it's it gets really difficult to, you know, say what's real and what's not, especially when fans get their input. But once they start casting stuff, that's when we can tell projects are becoming a little more solidified, a little more serious. Well, this one is definitely happening. I mean, it's it's rolling out slowly but surely. Mm. Um, Kind of off topic. Have you ever seen a clip of, or maybe you remember it on TV? I didn't until I just recently saw it on Facebook or uh, social media of some kind. Um, The Batgirl theme song from the 60s television show? No. It is so fucking weird. Huh? Like they try to come up with their own theme for Batgirl. She's like on a motorcycle. They're trying to have it kind of sound like the Batman theme, but but sort of different. It sounds like they took the Batman theme and just played it backwards because it's it comes off as just sort of being atonal and unpleasant to listen to. (laughs) And um yeah i don't know i just youtube it whenever you get a chance look up the batgirl theme 60s ryan gosling to work with director derek cyan france for the universal's wolfman reboot um of course previously the two had worked together on blue valentine and the place beyond the pines um i like all of what i'm hearing in that uh headline uh, I I have seen neither of those movies, but mm-hmm. uh, hell yes. Wasn't I just last month talking about how one another? Yes, you were talking about last month that you wanted to see more werewolf content. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm all for werewolves. Uh, we got some with werewolves within this year. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's time to bring werewolves back. Uh, I'm always ready for werewolves we have the technology to make them look really fucking good now right Um, and that's the key that's i think that is going to be the make or break of this entire project is the werewolf design are they going to go with a bipedal kind of you know man wolf kind of situation 
mm-hmm. where he just runs around and chokes people like the old Wolfman? Um, or are they going to go more for like an American werewolf in London style, like, you know, four legged creature kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I kind of don't care. Because in my long. head, I see Teen Wolf, except for he's wearing the drive jacket and you like know, sunglasses. I wouldn't even be against that. <laughs> I wouldn't be against something that, that had some pop self-awareness. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, give it to Gosling. Yeah, obviously. Um, I, I More so than his involvement, I'm excited about the uh, Derek Sion Friends. I think he's a really smart director. I think he understands he's he's his movies thus far have been very character oriented. He has kind of a gritty realism to his stuff. Uh, he was a, a big producer and a co-writer on The Sound of Metal. So even though he didn't direct that, that has his fingerprints all over it. OK, Um. so if that kind of gives you an idea of what his stuff feels like. Yeah, um, I, I'm into kind of a gritty Indie-ish werewolf. Also, he's really into sad protagonists. And I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I've always liked the Wolfman. Is yeah, it's it's he's always been you know very tragic. Very, I mean, most of those Universal monsters are, except for like the Mummy and Dracula and stuff like Frankenstein. The Wolfman, very sympathetic. Um, Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it sounds cool. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, let's see. What else? What else? Taika Watiti to adapt Alejandro Jodorowsky's novel, The Incal. Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky with Mobius. Uh, yeah, I think. I don't know anything about The Incal. I have read it. I have it. It's, it's, it a it's comic? another one of those like science fiction kind of like science fiction comics before science fiction comics. It, you know. Right. Uh, Mobius, his visual designs influenced everybody um that's that real super like euro hyper yeah i know like like almost french sort of sci-fi look right if you've seen um the original like heavy metal cartoon Mm -hmm. uh a lot of that was kind of his style like the weird pterodactyl things and and that kind of stuff uh, yeah, very European feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, Frank Quietly is very influenced by Mobius. Mobius. Uh, anyway, uh, I just, when this story broke, there was a lot of conversation about Jodorowsky writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think enough credit was given to Mobius. But, you know, this also, along with Dune, was very influential for stuff like Star Wars. Um, and it was kind of a gateway drug for sci-fi to become, you know, a bit more accepted, a bit, uh, you know. Right. And well, bigger world building. It wasn't just like creatures from the deep or whatever. Now it's, it's more about like, what do we uh, you know we can imagine these different kinds of futures and these sort of space operas and big operatic storytelling for sure yeah, yeah. um yeah and i think you know obviously i'm a huge fan of taika waititi very excited for anything he does mm-hmm. i i think you know with his 
like if you look at Thor Ragnarok, there's obvious a lot, obviously a lot of love for stuff like Flash Gordon, sure, and yeah. um, you know uh, Jack Kirby's art style. So I I think he is absolutely the perfect person to adapt something like this, you know, update it a little bit, but still mm-hmm. have it have that kind of vintage fun. Sure. Um, I yeah, wonder if they'll be if Jodorowsky at all will be involved at all because he is still alive technically, oh, and he's made he? movies somewhat no. recently. Um, um, you know, and the funny thing is, I don't think I've seen any Jodorowsky movies. I've no, only I know. seen uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary about his failed uh, Dune project that he worked on. But right. I have read the Incal, so yeah. And as a story, how do we? How do you like that? I mean, it's again, you can see the the influence on Star Wars like crazy. So, mm-hmm. uh, I you know, I don't know if it will be as, you know, franchisable of an IP, but I don't really give a fuck about that. You know, as long as it's a good movie, uh, it, it could kind of go the way of like Valerian and the thousand planet city planet. Thing. I don't think it will. Um, no, I think I think, I think Taika Waititi uh, has a, has a much more kind of like modern commercial mind to yeah, know how I to think, sort of pitch that uh, directly, and he's got a little more uh, a little more juice right now than um, Luke Besson. Yeah, than Luke Besson has. It, yeah, so I yeah I don't think it will, but uh, I mean it, it's, it's going to kind of come down to marketing. I think a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I think it will be it is kind of a weird sell so okay this one just came out a couple days ago uh Leonardo DiCaprio in final talks to star and produce a film about uh the cult leader Jim Jones he's producing it I think he's producing it and he's and he's in talks to star as Jim Jones okay uh I can see that I mean it's a fascinating story um yeah uh i think it's well within his milieu and um yeah i think it's one of those things that it's kind of a cliche how obsessed our culture currently is with true crime but i think this story in particular is very fascinating and Mm -hmm. uh he definitely has the charisma and the clout to you know, give it the the A plus star Hollywood treatment. Um, yes. So yeah, I think you know it at least quality wise will be better than a lot of those kind of movies that you know we get about cult leaders and stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it. Uh, yes, and that actually not very long ago, 2013, Ty West uh, directed a movie called The Sacrament with Gene Jones. Uh, who starred as he's a character actor, Gene Jones, um, uh, who starred as basically a Jim Jones type figure. Um, by and large, it was basically the story of of Jonestown Massacre. The, uh, sure. And I mean, I think- did you ever see the sacrament? No, I, I haven't. Well, the pitch was basically what if Vice News was there? During the Jonestown massacre. Oh. So it has kind of a found footage 
vibe to it. And uh, Joe Swanberg plays the main cameraman and stuff that takes place during like modern day, but everything else about it is just Jonestown. Okay. And Um, and Gene Jones, who you, some people might remember um, in that one key uh, pivotal scene in uh, uh, no country for old men where uh, Javier Bardem is in the gas station, makes the guy flip the coin for his life. He plays opposite Javier Bardem in that scene. He was sort of the Jim Jones um, figure in the movie, and he was very good in the role and did all of that. So I think this is going to be a bigger, um, higher budget, less directly horror kind of version of it. Yeah, exactly. I think it sounds a little more like they're trying to. I mean, and besides just Jonestown, like Mm -hmm. Jim Jones's story is very interesting like he used to be a christian preacher and stuff so it right right i i think there's more than just that to to tell but you know obviously what a fucking crazy ending i mean it's insane yeah i mean uh you know i guess yeah, it's, if it's you don't want absolutely if you don't want it ruined story. for you if you want to wait till the movie comes out you can but otherwise you can wikipedia the jonestown massacre it's still one of the largest mass deaths uh in an in something like this to have ever occurred it's called the jonestown mask for a reason it's very upsetting you know it's a very tragic event and um yeah insane uh, yeah i i think it would be interesting to I don't know. It might might be very difficult to watch. We'll see. Uh, I I'll be very I'll be even more interested once we kind of get a director attached. Yeah, um, I'm wondering. And you know, with with Leo attached to star and producing, they pretty much have the pick of whoever yeah, they want. Yeah, this is going to be know, a hot. It's going to be a, a big property. Uh, it, you know, barring people maybe not wanting to do it just for the subject matter, but now I after think, that I think point, that'll be more enticing they'll be like oh shit we're yeah. gonna do jonestown but like for real this time yeah let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's make a movie i mean yeah who knows it could be scorsese it could be in somebody that they he's worked with a few times yeah it, so. i think and either of them would be great obviously i mean they're masters right. um so we'll see how that all happens now, it still says you know in final talks but it sounds like you know he, if he's the producer it's he's pretty much Writing his own yeah, checks. Yeah, he he's pretty passionate about his uh, his projects. projects. They usually yeah. get you know come through. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, that is the movie news. Let's go ahead and get into the reviews for the week, and I will let you uh, give us a solo review of Marvel: The Eternals. Um, what is this movie? What is it about? Um, like wh- seriously, what is this movie? Because I don't know anything about the Eternals, the characters. I don't know anything about the comic. Mm-hmm. I that's a large reason why I didn't see it. I there was nothing about it that appealed to me. But go ahead and tell me why yeah, I might be wrong. I, I mean, it, it is it is kind of a lot. So uh, the Eternals is based off of a comic book that I think all the characters were created by Jack Kirby. Um, and it's it's sort of a secret origin story for Earth kind of thing where there's these ancient beings, these Eternals, mm-hmm. that have been on Earth since like prehistoric times. 
and uh you know the the log line is this secret race of aliens having this war underneath you know mankind throughout all of history so there's these eternals who were sent to earth by the celestials now don't go cross-eyed on me yet um <laughs> celestials are these like giant god-like creatures in the marvel universe we've seen them a little bit uh as like easter eggs popping up in guardians of the galaxy and whatnot right um so these cele- uh celestials sent this race of uh eternals this undying army to earth to protect mankind from this other race of evil creatures called deviants and they're you know just like ugly monsters um uh in this particular story the eternals are i mean it's a it's a big cast uh yeah. cersei uh pl- is played by uh Gemma chan icarus is sort of this superhero uh superman analogy for the marvel universe uh, named Icarus, he can like fly and um, has super strength. Uh, Cersei, who I mentioned just a moment ago, she can like change matter around, so she can like turn rocks into flowers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Angelina Jolie is this eternal warrior, Athena. Salma Hayek as Ajax, uh, kind of the the ringleader of them all. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani plays Kingo who, as far as I can tell, just shoots like energy beams out of his hands. (laughs) Leah McHugh as Sprite, who uh, she does like illusion stuff. She's kind of like a little little Loki. Kit Harrington is Dane Whitman. He plays uh, Jimmy Chan's human boyfriend. Um, So he's not actually an Eternal. He's just a dude. Um, But he is in the movie, yes. Uh, it, It is kind of refreshing to see a mostly female protagonist Cersei is like the main character and it is you know refreshing for her to have kind of a side piece himbo instead Mm -hmm. of you know instead of normally the hero guy with the girlfriend who doesn't have much character it's it's kind of swapped in this which is nice so it's this team of Eternals uh and they're kind of like following mankind throughout history and here's where things get a little muddy. The first place they get a little bit muddy. So they like invent stuff for humanity. They're like kind of in the background, like giving us like they move us from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age and they invent like the wheel and shit. But at the same time, they're also not supposed to get involved with like human conflict. They're only supposed to fight these deviants which is why we've never heard of the eternals up to this point right uh why they didn't get involved with thanos they they don't give a fuck they are not interested in humanity except when they are so there's already kind of our first giant gaping plot hole they're they're with humanity throughout history kind of in our shadow and they sort of get to this place where they've defeated all the deviants and just spread out and go their separate ways. And now that all of humanity is like returned, uh, it is created enough energy to start this 
thing called the emergence. It turns out the earth is just a big egg for a baby celestial. And now that the proper amount of energy has been there, the celestial is going to be born and destroy earth unless they decide to get involved. So that's kind of the, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot. And that's, Largely the problem with this movie is there is so much shit just always happening mm-hmm. uh, and so much that they have to like explain and so much mythology going on that, you know, it does that thing where it's like after every fight, there's a line of dialogue that's meant to be a character moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, there's cool stuff in here, but the movie itself is kind of a giant sprawling mess. It is just like you never ever get to this point where you're really attached to any of the characters, uh, which is interesting because, you know, they got Chloe Zhao and who, you know, just came off of this very big, intimate uh, movie with Nomadland, this fair, and right. and you can tell that her directorial eye is much more interested in that stuff. It's just there's so much shit to get through, right? That, that there's no place for her thing to really fit in. Yeah, that there's no place for it to breathe. And I I think you know maybe a smaller cast of crazy characters could have helped a lot. Because most of the characters are interesting. You know, they've got cool stuff going on. I want to know more about them. But we're just kind of rushing off to the next crisis. And as far as that goes, um, you know, like the action stuff, uh, again, I just, I don't think she has that kind of eye. She hasn't directed a lot of movies. And so a lot of the action kind of feels stilted and boring to me um not mostly really. like green screen stuff yeah and just you know like the color palette isn't particularly interesting in this movie i i know i'm not the first person to point that out um but you know these are jack kirby characters they have these you know bold primary uh color costumes right and i think the costume design is fine it's okay. It, it's at least a little different than the kind of like paramilitary Avengers look we're used to. Um, uh-huh. She is definitely going for more like a, a Thor um, Asgardian kind of like otherworldly thing. And it's, it's okay. It's fine. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of the color schemes are very muted. It, it's visually not, just not that interesting of a movie. Like she does do these like sprawling, uh, you know, for like these establishing shots to show off kind of like, you know, this beauty of earth. But when it comes to like the character composition and stuff, uh, a lot of it gets real muddy real quick. Yeah. This is, I, you know, there's a reason people are saying this is the MCU's first big kind of miss in a while uh and it's it's just so convoluted and so much going on that by the end of it you're just kind of left going like okay that was fine but it, right. it, it never feels 
it never feels like it has the same polish as a, a typical MCU movie, which, you know, sure, they fit into this formula. They fit into this uh, sort of homogenized product. But at the end of the day, you know, we're usually getting like a B plus kind of movie. This, I think, does have more ambition and they do kind of give her, I, I don't know, I, I maybe I'm being unfair kind of uh, putting too much on Chloe Zhao's shoulders, but it does kind of feel like they gave her a lot of room, you know, to kind of make this hers. And in the end, I just, I don't think she's that interested in telling a big expansive, you know, superhero story with a multi-generational thing. Like it just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It jumps around a lot. Uh, And I think maybe that, would have been a more interesting take is to actually like follow them through history throughout. It sounds like almost like the MCU version of that. What was that movie we reviewed last year with um, Charlie Theron? Oh, the old guard. Yeah. It's kind of like that mixed with uh, like that, but less like special ops. Yeah. yeah, It's like that kind of idea, but with, you know, like some Asgardian stuff thrown in, but yeah. it honestly feels like more like a DC movie than a Marvel movie mm. um, to that extent. Like it kind of reminded me of Aquaman and that it's this big, ambitious, sprawling mess that is at times very fun, um, you know, and it's got some good characters. Like uh, obviously Kumail is, uh, you know, great as the sort of comedic relief. I really like Brian Tyree Henry. Uh, he, he was also in uh, Kong v. Godzilla. You you weren't that into his character. Maybe it's just because I love him so much in Atlanta. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, oh, I mean, okay. this movie is obviously also trying to be more diverse. Like it makes pains to do that. Like you know, all the characters are different races. And and I think there's this implication that they are like, you know, kind of responsible for the way some cultures kind of develop. But it's again, it's an interesting idea that the movie never really digs into. Um, you've got one character who's deaf, one character who's, you know, openly gay and has a husband and, um, uh, you know, an, a, a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and all of that stuff is interesting. It just, again, it, it just needed to focus on like one or two interesting things instead of 15. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, you know, I saw the teaser at the end of Shang-Chi. They, they showed the teaser. And so I knew that it was like deep lore. Yeah, I mean, it's it in a way, it's kind of like you know the MCU's Scientology. Like it's it's right. it feels kind of like that, and and maybe that's I don't know. It's just a we, it's a weird story to adapt, but it didn't and, seem weird in a fun way. Like to me, like from the trailers, from the stuff that I saw, the promotional materials. This was the first time for me, maybe not the first time, but the first time where it was very pronounced where I felt like Marvel Studios was saying, you're going to see this because it has Marvel in the title. Like, the product be damned. At this point, you're going only because 
you have to see the next episode of the big Marvel TV show. I mean, and I just don't. That's like if I were to walk into a comic book store and somebody was trying to sell me on that comic, I'd be like, nah, I'm just going to get a different Batman comic. Okay. Uh, You bring up a couple really good points uh, that I want to touch on. First of all, the movie. Like I just, there was nothing about it that I felt was like essential. Uh, and I agree with you. And and I do feel like it's. And it Shang Chi is a pretty deep cut. And that was a character I didn't know anything about. But well, I was okay, like, hey, that, this actually looks like a fun movie. That's that's the other point I was was getting at is Marvel has done this before. They made the Guardians of the Galaxy in a plus property. And, you know, yeah, the comics were always like very fringes, very. um you know, kind of just whatever, uh, you know, so this isn't the first time they've taken an obscure. Yeah. They've made big risks before and big calculations. And, and maybe this might've been a property that would have worked better with their like TV stuff that they're doing on Disney plus now. But I, I, I just ultimately, every time I saw a trailer for it, I was like, this looks like a fake movie within a movie. This looks well, like, like somebody making fun of superhero movies that I think, Ultimately, the problem with this movie is it's so ambitious, but it also is kind of pretentious. And that's what I mean when I say it feels like a DC movie. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of, you know, it's other a little self serious. Yeah. Other than like Kumail, who's obviously like there for comedic relief, you know, they still have some, some Marvel sense of humor there. And you know, some of it works, some of it doesn't um, at all. But, you know, that's still kind of there. But the movie is less teeming with it. It doesn't have that undercurrent of fun that a lot of the MCU has, right? Like like Black Widow, the subject, the characters take it very seriously. But it's this, you know, big, crazy you know, Russian spy thing that is like that they are firmly within genre. Right. Right. This feels like they're telling an important science fiction story. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. 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 I mean, and and maybe I'm not saying that any of the things that I said are valid because I didn't see the movie. So I can't, I, I could see it and then come away with and say both me and you are wrong. I'm just saying as a person who chose not to see it, that's why I chose not to see it. And I'm saying, I, I think, I think that your instinct served you in this case. I don't think that you would have gotten much more out of it than that, but Mm -hmm. there's also a part of me that is like, am I just a little tinted because literally the week before I watched Dune, which is, literally like doing all the things that this movie's trying to do, uh-huh. but does them incredibly well and, and sophisticated. And this doesn't, it, it, it fails at a lot of the same things yeah. uh, that Dune did so well. It is very exposition heavy. A lot of expositions, very chunky. It doesn't feel grounded in reality, even though it takes place on earth. Whereas Dune feels so grounded and felt so, you know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. so coming right off of that maybe that colored my viewing of it a little bit what um, would you grade it i'm gonna give this one a c minus Ooh, that's yeah. pretty low i think even for is, you 
this is my first big big miss with the MCU and and like it it very much has Thor Dark World vibes. Yeah. yeah. That was one that I did not enjoy. Which it has some moments, it has some okay stuff hidden in there, but mm-hmm. for the most part it's just kind of a big sprawling blah. I I kind of feel the same about this and Right. Well, I just think in general Marvel Studios they're getting a little too big for their britches. And to me, I was just like, as a consumer, I have to, I have to tell them to pump the brakes. Yeah. Like I will wait till this is on Disney plus and then I'll watch it for free. I'm not going to, uh, to just tell Marvel. I will watch anything because it has Marvel in it. I, and you know, I think that is, I, I think that is a good, message for them to get like you know mm-hmm. i i think this is definitely a case of like like wait for the good pitches yeah let's let's you know maybe recalibrate a little bit yeah. um it, it's not so bad that it you know wrecks yeah. anything or it's you know if if in the case that eternals was a thing that had they had been building up toward like it had been easter egging and they've been i mean they probably have a little but I and I haven't been paying attention because I don't care. But if if it if it, if Eternals was the climax of something they were building towards, then I'd be like, okay, I'm invested. But instead, they're just like, here's some crazy bullshit. Do you want to well, watch and, it? And I'm I like, no, nah, not reason. really. I think that's another reason it doesn't feel as much like a Marvel Studios thing. Is, is there was no precedent to it. They were just like, want to see. Kamal in a ridiculous costume shoot lasers? Not well, really. And, and, well, and especially for the type of story they're telling with these characters that have supposedly been around since the dawn of civilization, but like we've literally heard nothing about them before, you know? I don't know. It just, it feels very like not connected to the rest of the Marvel world. It, not substantial as far as that goes. It, yeah. I guess it, we'll see how it weaves in from here yeah, going I mean, forward, not, but I don't know. I'm not super excited for whatever the next installment is, unless they do, you know, kind of a hard Thor pivot. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of like, I might, I might start, I might start missing some of these. Just, I'm not, after watching a two and a half hour fucking movie, I'm not right. invested. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about Titan. Um, I'm assuming a very different kind of movie. Uh, <laughs> yes, very. Okay, well, Titan, uh, like I said, this came out over the summer in limited release. This won the Palm Door at Cannes Film Festival. Um, and it's written and directed by uh, Julia DeKernow, who had previously did the movie Raw, um, the, the teenage cannibal film that I, that I adored from 2017. This is her follow-up to that. And I guess I'm going to have to sum this up. Yeah, okay. good luck. Yeah. So there we, we see at the beginning of the film, there's a young girl. Um, her name is Alexia. And her and her father get in a car accident. He's trying to, you know, she's being obnoxious, kicking his seat, seems to be trying to tuning him out. They have this very, we get almost immediately, they have this very strained relationship, a mm-hmm. d- father-daughter relationship. and. Uh, He's trying to sort of calm her down at the same time he's driving and they get in this accident, which puts her in the hospital. She ends up getting a metal plate put into her head 
And ever since, she's sort of developed um, this strange sort of eroticism towards vehicles and cars. Um, this there's a time jump we see after that point her her primary uh job is a model at car shows sort of like uh dancing in skimpy outfits on top of vehicles um she moonlights as a serial killer um <laughs> where her, th- these obsessions kind of go into a darker place and she ends up uh you know uh seducing people and then killing them both men and women and this is in some connection to her weird car eroticism as well. At some point, we see her essentially making love to a car in the back seat of a car with the seat belts. It, it's a whole thing. I, I can't exactly describe it, but the movie gets stranger from that point because uh, she begins to get pregnant from this car sex that she had um, or maybe possibly with one of the partners that she killed it. The movie is very ambiguous. It's it's clear. It was from the car because she's like bleeding oil and lactating. Right. Yeah. She, you know, she tries to, she tries to administer her own abortions and things like that. And and instead, you know, she's like oil is coming in like black oil where blood should be. Um, There is a little bit of ambiguity as far as what's in her head and what isn't, but only so much. Um, and we're mostly seeing this through her perspective. So uh, the law starts to close in on her as far as these uh, serial killings are going. So she decides she has to go into hiding and she notices that there was a young boy who 10 years previous had gone missing and she decides she's going to cut her hair and bind herself up and smash her face enough that she looks convincingly like 10 year older version of this 10 year old boy well, who went missing specifically she's doing it because uh she gets like dropped off by like she just kills a whole bunch of people yeah and she gets dropped off at like a, a train station so it's a very public place right and at this point she's a lot more identifiable so it's kind of like a uh uh you know, like an emergency, like I'm going to do this just until I can get out of this jam and move on to the, you know, the next thing kind of. Right. So she tries to uh, ingratiate herself into the life of this firefighter who has been looking for his son for 10 years and try and convince her, the police and this guy that she is the long lost son and she doesn't speak. Um, and she's, you know, really messed herself up enough that it's convincing enough. And of course the movie also sort of like brings into question whether or not this guy, this firefighter guy ever really believed it, or if he just wanted to believe it so much, he was forcing himself to because he's still very, very, very much in kind of mourning and, and disbelief and, and maybe a little bit of psychosis of his own. Um, And she becomes a firefighter living with this dude. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. There's this lie. She's trying to keep up everybody he works with kind of knows she's full of shit. Uh, they don't may- maybe know, don't know to the extent that she's full of shit, but they certainly know something is suspect. Um, and, uh, she's trying to hide a pregnancy from a car baby that she may or may not be having. And, um, uh, there seems to be maybe a 
weird sort of proto-sexual or um, up to the viewer's interpretation kind of relationship happening with this this older uh, French firefighter zaddy. Yeah, there was a lot in this movie. This movie's a lot. I mean, I mean, Raw was pretty gnarly, you know, for what it was. But I think, you know, ultimately it's a coming of age story just kind of told in a in a genre film sort of way. Um, This movie makes, you know, just the first 20 minutes of this movie already makes the entirety of Raw look like a Disney film in comparison. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better because I was like at the I was like, what the fuck is this? What the <laughs> fuck am I actually watching? Like, what is the story here? Uh-huh. Uh, like I had I it was the, I think the first, yeah, like 20 minutes were kind of indecipherable as to like what is happening, where is this going? Like, and not in like uh I don't know. I ultimately to me, this movie kind of starts when she tries to, you know, be the kid. And when she tries to be this man's son. And to me, that is all yeah. of the most interesting stuff of this movie. I could have completely done without the car baby because it just was so weird and kind of disconnected from everything else. Uh, and I felt like there was enough happening with. You know, the her being a serial killer is a crazy leap in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, that does play into some interesting tension and and some interesting stuff when it does come to her relationship with this firefighter guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, the, you know, the stuff with her dad, like there's good stuff there. Mm-hmm. It's just so buried under this weird scene where she fucks a car and gets pregnant (laughs) i yes i think so obviously this movie has a an obsession with body horror body modification Mm -hmm. even like the uh the firefighter firefighter father figure is um taking steroids on the dl and you know there's this there's these you know, these, these very graphic scenes of her trying to change her appearance, um, you know, to fit into these different societies. And, and I think that, um, you know, that's, I think ultimately the, you know, the metal, uh, the metal um, plate in her head, that's always visible. The scar from that um, is always visible. And obviously, I mean, I think, you know, the scar is both metaphorical and also literal. Um, Yes, yeah, and the, and, and, and I, mean, I, I, know, I think that the we the, can read the car baby definitely as metaphor. It just, I mean, I think that the movie is working heavily on metaphor and exactly. and on on several levels. And I think that 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 specific layer of this kind of uh, um, bio industrial horror and body horror, which, and the, which is why think, I think that it's mostly you could read that as mostly being in her head. Um, if you yeah, want I to, mean, if you want to, if, if it, if you want the movie to be as literal as that, um, I think that that layer of the movie is, is talking most specifically about, 
essentially the things we try and hide about ourselves. Sure. And and I also think uh, that we can't like the thing about body horror. Uh, I think it's also referencing that one movie we talked about during October, the Tetsuo, the Iron Man. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I do get, I mean, uh, g- generically speaking, there is lineage to things. Certainly there's a lot of Cronenberg happening in here, uh, specifically sure. the movie crash, I think is, is kind of the, you know, mother or father of this film. Um, uh, as well as things like the, the, the movie that you were, the, the, the Japanese film that you brought up as, as well as something, even, even as something like Christine, you could kind of see sort of, uh, playing out in, in, in a way sort of here in, in the way that she, her, she sort of lives out her, the fan, her power fantasy through vehicles, through, through something is indestructible because she knows that she's actually very destructible and very vulnerable. Um, and this power fantasy plays out in this sort of serial sure. killer thing. But, and, and but, I think but, one thing that I thought was very interesting about the character is when she is presenting female in the first half of the movie, mm-hmm. she's this, you know, seductress black widow who has all the power. Yeah. And then as soon as she, you know, escapes and is hiding, um, presenting as male in this very heavy male dominated world of firefighters and they, they, purposely you know make that distinction they almost masculinize the firefighterness so much that it's it it sort of like queers itself a um bit. they have like these these like raves that aren't yeah these like shirtless I, I say they're buff shot male entirely, like in know. bisexual lighting yeah yeah um and and i think that it's uh it's interesting Which that we, okay. she loses also, all of her feminine power during mm. during those scenes and she's she becomes very meek and very um uh vulnerable in that group where she's hiding um uh i, I don't i don't i don't even necessarily want to say her true self because there seems to be almost a transness yeah, about this well, film as well that is uh, that is part you know like she is like she's transforming into part car but she's also mm-hmm. like she finds this piece that she never had as a woman uh and and certainly like with her relationship with her biological father mm-hmm. you know she finds this father figure who who you know we don't know how much of her true identity he does or doesn't know it, it through most of the movie right but he accepts he accepts him for who he is Right. And I definitely think, uh, yeah, there is a, a very strong like uh, trans message here. Tra- this is definitely like a trans story. I felt that, too. I mean, I felt that this movie across the spectrum was very queer, like everything about it, like, I, you know, not just in, in terms of um, of the exploration and, and the presentation of gender, but also in terms of, you know, sexuality and, and well, how yeah, that plays I mean, in with, with there, the familial. Could, I mean, you could write whole papers about like the dad who, you know, is getting older. And so he's, you know, literally injecting something into his ass, <laughs> like to, to feel young and vital. Uh, right. He, you know, he is not interested in her as a woman, but there is this weird 
sexual element that comes up near the end of the movie. Like, I mean, there's, there's a sexual tension that's played between those two characters throughout. They 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 hold that tension very tightly. For um, sure. And and this it's, is an uncomfortable movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on several levels, but I think it's also it's it's having all these very interesting conversations. And I I think my my initial takeaway was just like. I was kind of just bowled over by just how fucking wild and crazy it was. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those, well, you don't see that every day kind of movies. Well, but then, I watched this earlier today, so I'm still oh, kind of processing. Okay, well, I, I watched it last night or maybe the night before last, but I, uh, you know, coming away from it and kind of like, you know, pulling apart and picking through these themes and these characters and what, what does this scene mean to that scene and that kind of stuff. Now I'm starting to sort of make sense, heads and tails of it now. Sure. And I, I, and I, I think that there's, uh, I do think this movie is very, very interesting. I, yes, I do think it's interesting. I don't think it's always, I, I mean, I don't think it's fun to watch, um, but I also think, I it's, think it's kind of fun. There are moments. Uh, <laughs> But there's also a lot of like really grotesque stuff. Yeah, it's of, brutal as fuck. Yeah. And there's a, some surreal imagery. I, I I mean, again, I think this is a very interesting movie, but there's there is a lot going on. And I don't know that it always necessarily is the best thing for the story that it's trying to tell, if that makes sense. Um because like I said, I, I firmly believe at the heart of this is the trans story. And so sometimes I think, you know, like the weird car stuff is a little at odds with that. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Did you ever, I know that you have, you've listened here and there to some episodes of uh, the King cast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've caught a did couple. You, did you ever listen to the episode with Brian Fuller where they talked about Christine? Uh, I, I started it, but I never, um, I actually didn't finish that one. I didn't get very far in. Oh, you should go back and listen to that because I think that's a, that's like a perfect primer, you know, it's like a, a, a ancillary text to watching this film. Cause he, t- he talks all about Christine as a trans allegory, which I don't believe has ever really been proposed by anybody before. Brian Fuller did on that podcast and well, he goes yeah, into I mean, this, the very specifics of it. And that, you know, it's, it's a, a, uh, an interpretation. I don't, I don't necessarily think that John Carpenter or Stephen King had that in mind when, sure, when they made yeah, that th- film. There might be subtext for that in, in Titan. It is text. It is like, yeah, but like I don't think it, it's it, just that either. I think that the movie is kind of, is, is kind of floating above the larger conversations of of sexual identity of gender identity of of the presentation of sexuality uh sexual politics sexual power uh mm-hmm. dynamics um and and those kind of conversations are happening a little bit in raw too because we're talking about sort of the sexual awakening of a teenage girl mm-hmm. and 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 you know sort of um uh, uh interpreting that as the the craving for human flesh quite literally um and in this film he she's kind of she's taking those the that impulse and just turning it up to 11 yeah i mean it's a wild movie it is definitely like nothing you will ever see <laughs> um 
I I honestly still don't entirely know what to do with it though. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it was one of those that I was just like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I was I was um hiding behind my fingers for the first you know half hour of it, just about every other scene. I was like, gee, oh my Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, I, I was too. The violence is very visceral. It's yeah. Very, I mean, there's a, uh, there's an extreme, you know, French extremism kind of like vibe to some of this. Um, sure. uh, so that's happening as well. And, and then there's like, there is kind of a, which is why I said, I think it's, it is kind of fun. There's sort of a pop element of it. Like the lighting is very stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this incredible scene where as a male or presenting male, she does this sex, one of her like car sex dances in front of all of these hyper-masculine firefighters who up until that point had zero respect for her. Um, And then all of a sudden she brings back what she, you know, that, that, that feminine power that she had, but prior to the point that she was disguised. So, I mean, I don't. All right. You're, you're talking me into liking this movie more (laughs) than I think I initially did. Uh, But you're right. I mean, that, that was a, a very incredible scene. And again, this movie more than anything else is interesting as fuck. Like it is definitely having a lot of conversations um, and doing it in some very interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I wouldn't necessarily say my viewing experience was pleasant, but <laughs> movies don't always have to be that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it was it's a rough go, and I wouldn't say that it's for everybody. I mean, no, I think just by the conversation we're having, you can kind of gather that. But um, yeah, this isn't a popcorn. Yeah, this isn't easy breezy stuff like this is, you know, it's like I said, the violence is very brutal. It's very sudden. It's very realistic. Um, uh, I mean, not, maybe not necessarily realistic in theme, but uh, presented very realistically. Um, and it's also uh, yeah, it's also I, like I, I actually I don't know that it is necessarily presented realistically. There are elements of it that I'm like, like sometimes it's a little too easy some you know what i mean like mm-hmm. I, I don't know there are elements of the violence that are uh, although there was that the scene where she like kills like four people and and <laughs> another guy comes out of nowhere oh yeah every time she thinks she's done another guy comes down from the thing and that's what i mean like that that's kind of a, co- like a horror comedy sequence in the middle of this otherwise brutal weird movie yeah um I, there i mean yeah there i there were definitely moments like that. I don't know. I also will say um, uh, that the two main leads, uh, Vincent Linden and Agatha Russell, are fucking incredible. I mean, they're great. Yeah. Uh, she says a lot with very little dialogue. Right. And- I mean, she's doing like performance on top of performance on top of performance because she's, you know, she's playing somebody who is dealing with all these identity things anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know. Then- uh, the way uh, Vincent Linden, his portrayal of grief and denial and um, his shit is all like so sensitively done. And but mm-hmm. so like 
very incredible performance. Kind of tragic and pathetic, and and there's a lot going on with that character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, uh, and all you know, also this like patriarchal, like almost god complex when it comes mm-hmm. to the fire station. Like, I mean, not almost. He literally uses that analogy it yeah he says he said my son is jesus yeah <laughs> basically telling him all to back off because he knows that at, at you know even if he's to believe everything that happened that this person went through a lot of things so it's yeah it's a wild movie i liked it i'm giving it an a because it's it's very much a you know a creative piece unto itself it is doing what it wants to do um Criticism be damned. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I, I I get it. This is not like when you think the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of things have come out of the Cannes Film Festival, but I think generally people think French movie like French boring movies about sheep farmers doing underwater basket weaving. This is not that. <laughs> you know what you you have convinced you've kind of turned me around on this movie uh because it was so batshit that i was like what the fuck am i watching yeah uh uh but you know and i i still don't know how i feel about the ending entirely Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i do appreciate that it knows yes it does exactly what it wants to do and it's not it's not stuffy and boring. I'll give it that. I guess I give it an A. I don't know. <laughs> I uh, think I think it's uh, you, you did a little you did yourself a little bit of a disservice trying to review it the same day you watched it. Because I know for. Well, I didn't know what I was fucking getting no, into. I, and it, I think it's impossible to know what you're getting into. But um, but I think that uh, I would have had just as hard of a time kind of making heads or tails of it an hour or two after just like talking it out just kind of like knowing someone else saw this fucking batshit movie (laughs) and and just talking about the themes and the the uh you know what the story is is helping me kind of process stuff in a different way so right right uh again it's not a fun watch. This isn't going to be like a go-to for me on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess do with it, do with that information what you will. All right. Okay. Let's move on to the last segment, the streaming homework, which I assigned. Um, this is the man with the golden arm. It was re- released in 1955 and directed by Otto Preminger. Keith, what is this movie about? Frank Sinatra plays Frankie the Machine, this illegal uh, poker dealer who just did a stint in uh, prison, who is addicted to heroin. At least I think it's heroin. Yeah, they never say exist then. I don't know. They I, did. I was a it did. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know when that became a thing. But I'll um, get into that a little bit when we get into the actual review. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, so he is just coming off of this stint in prison um, where, you know, forced re- rehab, um, uh, coming back to his old life, uh, but trying to be sober and get a legitimate job as a, a drummer, like a house band drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as he goes, sort of settles back into his old life, his these old temptations come. He's hanging out with uh, 
you know, the same old crew and they are pushing him to get, you know, back into the game as a gambler and just get back into the seedy world where drugs will be prescient. Yeah. Um, all, all the while he is sort of juggling this guilt he has with his wife um, Z- named Zosh, um, which very interesting name. I'm sure is short for Z- Zashana, Z- Zashana, but I don't know. It, yeah, never- I, mean, I think so. Yeah, like it, uh, it, like the character from Girls. <laughs> yeah. Zosh. Shoshana. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, whatever. Uh, who he is with. Purely out of guilt because he was driving a car drunk and uh, got into an accident, which left her paralyzed uh, from the waist waist down. down. Mm. Um, uh, And then he is also trying to move on with uh, this this other, you know, romantic past he had uh, with this woman named Molly. Played by Kim Novak, who some might remember is the lead in Vertigo. Oh, uh, okay. Or the female lead in Vertigo. Um, yeah. So I think this movie is interesting in its subject matter mm-hmm. um, and its approach to the subject matter. But I don't think this is a great movie. I think it's kind of long and boring, and it's trying really hard to to capture, you know what it's like to be a drug addict. So I I guess it's pretty progressive in that sense. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, it's a Hollywood version of that starring Frank Sinatra. Um, Right. You know, so he's always going to kind of be Frank Sinatra. His, his drug freakouts are very Frank Sinatra putting on a performance. Um, The whole movie kind of feels like that, right? It feels like, uh, uh, we're doing a picture about drug addiction and we're, go- we're going to have it be real and have it be real dramatic. And the core of this character, you know, he wants to rehabilitate. And and clearly we have seen movies like this, uh, you know, throughout film history, but obviously get a little more nuanced with it. I, I uh, You know, pair this with a viewing of um, uh, that movie you just talked about in movie news um the drummer movie oh um the sound of metal yeah yeah yeah. pair this viewing with something like the sound of metal which is i think going to be you know a much more modern nuanced version of it uh so yeah it's interesting uh the the finale is pretty fucking fun that gets pretty yeah it gets gets kind of crazy out of out of nowhere (laughs) kind of yeah it does uh but for the most part, I, you know, this kind of feels like a Top Cat episode with, you know, Frank Sinatra as sort of the ringleader and um, kind of character and uh, Arnold Stang is, is like lackey. I don't know. It's it's kind of all over the place, but I think its heart is in the right the right spot. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. The movie is. Well, the 1955, um, the movie's on interesting pivot. Um, it's a uh, interesting pivot point for Hollywood um, because we're we're sort of towards the end of the hardcore movie code. Mm-hmm. You know, where half of the things they talk about in this movie would have been unable to talk about just a decade prior. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
And in that sense, it was uh, kind of ahead of its time. And I believe um, this movie actually ran into a lot of problems with censors. And I think that's I mean, why you know, they like never the... say the word heroin. That's why, you know, when when they're pulling out the paraphernalia, they have to, like, move the camera away, you know, to sort of imply that he's doing the heroin. Well, I mean, uh, so they, that's what they I get right up to that point, though. I mean, he's tying his arm off yeah, and he's everything. Tying his arm off. They're getting the needles out like. So it's kind of interesting. You see this very old style Hollywood picture with big stars and they're all, you know, the they're you know talking and jive and all that stuff and and then there's this he's like rolling up his sleeve and tying his arm off and telling a dealer to inject him and it's like whoa um so i could see like in 1955 this is just this you know we're still talking about the days of television you couldn't even show a toilet yeah um exactly and and i think i think that's why it this movie definitely has a dissonance it has mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly what I was saying. It has that Hollywood vibe, but it it is trying to tell a darker story. Uh, uh you know, a right? And these, I mean, this story. type of genre, the uh, the addiction drama. Um, you know, I don't know its full history. There might have been some things here or there before it. I mean, obviously, there was things like like Reefer Madness, which would be like a very different kind of take on this material type yeah, of material. I mean, and at, but there um, are moments where this does get very preachy and feel a little after school special. It's a bit know. of a, it's a message movie for sure. Yeah, it um, definitely has those elements, but, but you I think can also still tell, you know, they are trying to make Frank out to be a guy who wants to get better. He is sympathetic, right. you know, he, and they're trying to tell a character oriented story. It, they it's are. not like reefer madness where it's just a, a finger wagging, you know, polemic. They are, they, they're, they're telling this within the context of this guy's life and his story and his wants and desires and his dreams. Yeah. For sure. Um, and the things that are holding him back and the things that he, you know, strives for. And I actually think that of all the performances in here, um, I think Kim Novak is really good, but I, but I, I actually think Frank Sinatra does a pretty good job. I believe him in, in this role. Uh, I mean, he is very Frank Sinatra, but I think that I, for, you know, for somebody who was not, eh, he did, he did a handful of movies. It's not like he didn't do movies, but mm -hmm. he was at the time more known for his music career. Um, there, there I, think, I, I believe him in the role. I think I could believe him as, you know, just coming out of jail and kind of getting his stuff back together. And well, you know, and, and I do think, you know, Frank Sinatra does have some experience uh, in this world. Um, <laughs> so I little. do think there is a realism he brings to it. I, I may, it's more near the end when I don't know, some of the stuff feels so big and so Hollywood that it, it feels a little fake. There's some but, style. There's some style ideas that yeah, but maybe but don't play don't as well That's, now. Like the idea of like this. The, there's this ju uh, jazz drum score in the background, and as his his cravings become bigger and bigger, the score gets louder and louder. And I, I can see that as being like this, you know, this cool, innovative, experimental thing in 1955. But now it's just a little on the nose. Yeah, and and maybe that is more. Um, Maybe it is more production stuff than Frank Sinatra. Um, there are times when I think it comes off a little hokey, but for the most part, I do believe him as this character. Yes. 
Uh, he he does. It's not a bad performance. It is. It is. I think he's actually playing it pretty low key compared to a lot of the the side characters. Um, you know yeah, who are doing much like, bigger um, performances, like, like these Arnold gangsters. Thing, yeah, yeah. Arnold Stanley is he's, he's playing this like lackey, and he's, but he's sort of the comedic relief of the movie as well. But yeah, but we also have to talk about Eleanor Parker as Zosh. Yeah, otherwise yeah. known as the worst character ever written. Oh my god! I mean, not because she's terrible for this screenplay, but I mean, just like she's one of those people, like you really hate her throughout the movie. Yeah, well, yeah, she's the yeah, she's absolutely despicable. The writing doesn't do her any favors either, but also like the the character and the acting is also pretty all over the place. I don't know. Yeah, it borders onto so bad it's good territory. Like. It is, it becomes a very big performance. Um, it's a little campy. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that uh, this is based on a novel and then there's probably the novel rounds out that character more than she gets here. Sure. Um, and the, the, the movie is basically begging the audience to hate her. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's a little unfair to the actress. Oh, it's uh, completely unfair to the actress. The character is not well written. No. Uh, and and the actress isn't, you know, she's not like bringing a, a, a lot of nuance to it either. Not that. No. And I don't know exactly how she was being directed by Otto Preminger or anything like that. But what we do know is we can contrast her performance with Kim Novak's and Kim Novak gets gets to be, you know, basically the personification of his hopes and dreams. <laughs> yeah. And she's this like literal ball and chain at home holding him down it's actually like a different form of kind of misogynistic writing i think it's Uh, just the old kind yeah (laughs) i think this is just just kind of a a misogynistic role um yeah because it literally yeah you i don't necessarily knock the movie for it because it's it's serving a function in the plot um and obviously it, it is of that time which you know sure and like i said like the book probably justifies the character a lot better. I don't know. But I mean, I mean, overall, I I I was kind of expecting a little bit more of a crime film because the other Preminger movies I've seen are um, uh, Laura is a straight up noir um, and uh, Anatomy of a Murder, which came out a little bit after this. And it, it even pushes some of that, like, you know, um, uh, pushes the uh, the ratings code even further. Um at a uh, a really early time to do so is a kind of a courtroom crime film. Okay. And this is like I said, more or less kind of the predecessor to the addiction drama later would be, we'd see in stuff like panic and needle park and up through like Requiem of dream and all the rest of it. Well, sure. Yeah. And yeah. like I said, I, I thought it was kind of funny how the, a lot of parallels with the sound of metal, you know, he's a, he wants to be a drummer uh, former dry addict. Uh, yeah, it just it's very interesting how that formula has kind of carried over and evolved over time. Yeah. Uh, a- yeah. I mean, this is this was interesting, um, but it is two hours of, you know, 1955 dialogue. So, you know, it kind of drags a, a, through the first chunk Uh mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I think fine. there's some there's some stylistics that kept me interested. Um, I, 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 I liked Sinatra. I like Kim Novak. 
Um, I yeah, like. I like not the, a total slog, but it, it gets repetitive. It's it, there's a lot of like, there, oh, it, I've just got this job tomorrow, and then right, the, the, that falls through, and then oh, you know, which I get. They're pushing him closer and closer to relapse. Right, right. Um, that and also the know, world of this movie feels very contained to like four sets. Well, yeah, because everything happens on like this one street block. Um, right, um, but I do like the way that. Uh, Preminger uses his camera. There's a lot of like, you know, following him from one one uh, apartment building down the street to another. And he, I think he, you know, he he blocks every he tries to keep the frame as interesting as possible, given how limited the, the world is. Sure. Yeah. And they they do some uh, interesting shots when he's high, like when she uh, like holds the match to his eyes and stuff. Right. Um, you know, so there is some some work going on there that is interesting. But, you know, if you're not a fan of this time frame of movies and, you know, a lot of younger audiences will not have the patience for it. Um, I get that. It's it's not I wouldn't call this movie breezy, but um, but it's not a slog either. No. Yeah. I mean, I I. I think if you're interested in seeing like, you know, what was Frank Sinatra like as an actor, um, maybe seeing how this subject matter was handled at a different time period when there was more um, censorship to be dealt with, but watching a director and a writer push that censorship to the, mm -hmm. to the edge at that point. Um, I think those, the, the historical context makes the movie fairly interesting, but I, but yeah, I mean, this isn't, probably not one i'll revisit um anytime soon i mean i it's okay yeah yeah exactly i i agree with you that i think the historical aspect of it is interesting there was a lot of stuff when i was like what year was this fucking made um <laughs> right because yeah. i mean you kind of get whiplash by like how... Yeah, once he pulls out the full fucking heroin kit, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Because bo literally before that, they're just like, oh, did you kick it? Yeah, I got that monkey off my shoulder. Right. You know, right. I kicked it. And, and they, they just kept alluding to it that I was I was like, oh, is he an alcoholic? But it's a metaphor for drugs. And then it's like, oh, no, he's a fucking heroin addict. OK. Right. Yeah. And um, like I said, if you're interested in like. Hollywood censorship. Um, Preminger is the one of the guys to 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 push his weight in Hollywood and, and say, okay, you said I'm allowed this much. How about this much? Um, and I think you see that even more in Anatomy of Murder, where they're talking about like, you know, semen samples and stuff in in, in 1959 oh, or 1960 yeah. or something. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. So, I mean, it, it, that gets pretty crazy as well. And I, as a movie, I enjoy Anatomy of a Murder more as well as Laura, if you just as an old noir. Um, but yeah, this is this is OK. Cool. What do you have as our streaming homework for the next episode? Uh, the next episode, we are going to be talking about the Sparks Brothers documentary um, mm -hmm. from Edgar Wright. Uh, it just dropped on Netflix, it came out earlier this summer. Um, and yeah, I've been wanting to watch this for a while. So, yes. And I believe it's a, it's a music doc, right? Yeah. 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 So it's, 
it's about the Sparks Brothers, who I guess they're like the greatest pop band that nobody ever knew about. Right. Um, yeah. So it's it's just a, a music doc following their career and kind of their influences and the, the highs and lows, I guess. Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to to uh, get in contact with us about that or any of the movies we talked about on this episode or previous, you can contact us at our email, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at mcguffinpod. Get into our DMs and um, uh, ask us any long-form questions or commentary you want us to read on the episode. Um, And you can also... Follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at BC Cassidy. You can read the reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal movies, and that'll show you the review archives. Be sure to read the other reviews and articles at the McGuffin's webpage, McGuff.in. Um, there's also the uh, podcast archives there as well. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review at whichever uh, podcast app you are using, specifically Spotify and iTunes would be lovely. Uh, Yeah. And you can follow me uh, individually uh, at Keith Foster Kid on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also check out my art account on Instagram, uh, Instagram uh, at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Follow us at the gram. The monkey is never dead, dealer. The monkey never dies. When you kick him off, he just hides in a corner, waiting his turn. Bye.